This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. It's great to be with you all this morning. I'm very excited that you're here with us today, and it's just you and me and the entire state of Mississippi and the world and anyone who cares to call in because we're talking about setting up a tax-exempt, not-for-profit organization. Now, when we first thought about this idea, I thought, goodness gracious, that's a mouthful. Who in the entire world is going to want to set up a tax-exempt, not-for-profit organization? But then when I delve down into it i have <laughs> I've, I've helped set one up for my daughter's debate team in high school so what are some of the types of an organization uh what are who are, what are we talking about why would someone want to set up a tax-exempt not-for-profit organization well, one reason would be, and this would be the typical 501c3, I'm going to use some uh, tax code language, but, you know, it's a shortcut for saying a typical charity that uh, raises money uh, for a good purpose, you know, a, a qualified purpose, and we can talk more about what that is. And those contributions to that charity are deductible by the person who gives them. So it's a win-win situation because the charity doesn't have to pay tax on, on its uh, the gifts that are given to it. But, you know, the person who is being generous is both giving and receiving by getting a tax deduction. So that would be, you know, a, a typical thing. But there are other types of charitable organizations. There are um, civic leagues and, and uh, political organizations that can be tax-exempt. Contributions to those organizations are not deductible, though. So there would be different reasons. Homeowners associations can also be tax-exempt. So they're all around us. It it. It's so interesting just when you think about all of the different things that are. If uh, you have a, a, you know, my kid's in a swim club uh, when they used to be in swim team. And I guess any time, really any time, would you suggest that when money changes hands, there should be one of these organizations? It should be organized? Yes. Well, you know, of course, obviously, when you're talking about em- employers uh, uh, pay their employees, and that that can't be tax exempt. So what we're really talking about is an organization that collects funds uh, to use for a good purpose, to use for a common purpose. And we don't want those organizations to be taxed on receiving that, that money, because technically, when you receive money like that, it, it's usually income. And so uh, we want, you know, for homeowners associations to, to take their dues and use them to for the benefit of their communities to make sure that the, you know, the, the grass is mowed or whatever it is, and, and without having to pay tax on that. Uh, for charities, you know, for education institutions, like, like the University of Mississippi, the tuition paid by our students is not taxable. If it was, that would uh, cut into our ability to use that money for their educate directly for their education. So, yeah, I mean, the, the tax exempt organizations, if you've got 
a cause that is uh, qualified for tax exempt status, it's well worth looking into. Okay. So here we go, Professor Gershon. I want to start a nonprofit and qualify for tax exempt status. Where do I start? It's a great question, Liz. And I, and I, I would say find a good resource, either the uh, Mississippi Secretary of State website on charities has steps to start a charity. Uh, the IRS website has steps to start a charity. And, and follow their guidelines because one of the first things you have to do is have a business plan. Uh, you know, this, this is actually, even though it's a call, called a not-for-profit, even though it can be tax-exempt, it still should be run as a business. And you ought to have a board of directors, and you need at least three board members, and five or more is recommended. Um, and they've got to be dedicated people who, are, who really want to make this entity work. Uh, you know, there's a state uh, filing that you have to do, S-T-A-T-E, not E-State, a state filing that you have to make, um, as well as the, the filing with the federal government, and that would be to file articles of incorporation, identifying the charitable pur- purpose with the Secretary of State's office, uh, State's uh, Business Service Division. You need bylaws. You need some rules to follow, especially if you're handling someone else's money that they've donated to you. You want to make sure you're doing it right and you're doing it for the purpose of your entity and, and you're not using it for somebody else's business, you know, uh, personal uh, use, because that would be a big problem. Uh, you got to hold meetings. So there's a lot of work that goes into this. It, it really is. Uh, and then after you do all that, then you apply for an, uh, an employer identification number with the IRS to start that process. So the first thing you need to do is kind of form your, your business, have, have your plan. There are so – you don't have to reinvent the wheel. This is my favorite thing. If I want to do something, I don't want to have to reinvent the wheel and learn how to do this all from scratch. So whether you're in the process of starting um, a charitable organization that you'd like to be not-for-profit or if this is giving you an idea to start one, we are going to have all the links to the IRS. We'll also have links to the Mississippi Secretary of State's office to help you get started because this will be a podcast. We'll be able to, folks will be able to listen to this show in the future, probably this afternoon. We we air live on Tuesday mornings. I try to get the podcast done before five o'clock on Tuesday afternoons. We have a lot of folks who love to listen to our podcasts while they're walking the dog, while they're exercising, while they're taking a drive somewhere. So we will have uh, links on the website and on the podcast for a lot of this IRS information and the state of Mississippi um, information so that it can help you decide what you need to do. You know, you're going to need to make some decisions on types of tax-exempt status. Uh, What do you get to choose from, Professor Gershon? Well, you know, if you are a a religious institution, an educational institution, uh, if you are um, helping foster uh, protection of children or animals, there are a list of uh, types of uh, organizations that qualify for what I consider the highest status, which is the 501c3 status as a tax-exempt charitable organization. And those organizations are the ones that can accept donations that are also deductible by uh, those who are contributing to them. So that would be, you know, if you're, if you're forming a, 
a school, starting a school, or you're starting a religious entity, or you, you're starting a, uh, an entity that um, will help uh, protect animals, then you might consider a 501c3. Uh, and because you can take deductions that are, or I should say contributions that are deductible, uh, you're going to be maybe under the highest scrutiny as well to make sure that you're keeping that status. Um, another type of organization, as I mentioned, would be a, a, a political organization. Um, the National Rifle Association is a 501c4 corporation. Uh, the uh, Democratic Socialist are a 501c4. The, the difference is this. A 501c3 cannot really engage in lobbying, or and they can't uh, advocate for a political candidate. Whereas a 501c4, which uh, you know contributions are not deductible to a 501c4, can advocate for changes in the law, can, can lobby, uh, and can support candidates, can endorse candidates. So, you know, if, if you want to get political, you don't want to be a 501c3. Uh, that's a different kind of organization. If it's a homeowners association, then you, you're going to have to file, you know, uh, exempt status for your homeowners association. That's a different category, and so you just want to make sure you you're, you know what kind of charity you are. Now, you mentioned not inventing reinventing reinventing the wheel, and I want to say that's such an important statement because sometimes the charity that you're thinking about forming already exists, and you can just get involved with that one. Uh, and you don't have to start again. You don't want to compete necessarily with, a, with an organization that's doing exactly what you want to do. Just get involved with that one. And you mentioned also what about, you know, a neighbor, a sick neighbor. Well, I mean, I think I wouldn't even form an organization to help my sick neighbor. I would just help my sick neighbor uh, because, you know, that's a situation where, you know, to, to set up an entity, to set up, you know, to go through the Secretary of State, to go through the IRS to do that uh, is a lot of work. For, for one purpose, and you really can't uh, set up an entity that really just benefits one person anyway. So, um, you know, th think about how seriously you want to start this business and keep it going and, and what competition is out there and, and what your organization wants to accomplish. We are just beginning this show to talk about not setting up a tax-exempt not-for-profit, but we do have a phone call. We're going to go to Lisa in Ocean Springs. Lisa, thanks for calling in today. What's your comment or question? Um, I am looking at setting up a school choir booster club. Um, I had a friend of mine, and she was like, she had set up a different thing, and they got under the national umbrella of the PTA, but I don't think we're eligible. Our total budget for the year is going to end up being about three or $400. Um, that's all we need to make and spend. We have, like, one big trip we make at the end of the school year. But it says on the IRS website you can join without uh, – get a 501c3 without paying the $300 see if you're not going to make under a certain amount, but I can't find the link for paperwork to do that. Okay, that's so a great question. am I question. reading it wrong? <laughs> no, you're not. And there are, you know, for small organizations like that, and by the way, your organization will be presumptively uh, uh, 501c3 for, for two years as you file and go through the process. Yeah, the best thing is on the IRS website, if you go, you're looking at, um, you'll have to file uh, to start your company or your organization a form 1023. And on there is where they'll, they'll talk about waiving fees and things like that, what fees you need. Um, a bigger organization, I had to start a foundation for a school 
um, and we had to get an advanced letter saying that uh, they saw everything. We had to file our, our uh, form, and then they sent us a letter saying, um, you know, we think you are in compliance, and, and then we'll wait two years to make sure uh, that you follow through each year with the right re- returns and things. But um, that was a bigger bigger organization that expected a lot more money with a small, and they charged us a fee for that letter. So they, you know, yeah. they will waive the fee for your for your uh, your advanced ruling about your your status, and then you just want to make sure you file your annual information return. It, it, it there's a short form for for small companies, small organizations like yours. But you know, good luck. It, it sounds like a good cause, and um, you know, there's a lot of help out there on on the webs. Lisa, we'll okay. make sure that we have links on our webpage, which is inlegalterms.mpbonline.org, and they'll have this show, and in the body of this show, we'll have all these links that we're talking about. Thanks for calling in. Sounds great. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to continue our discussion with our very own Professor Richard Gershon. What are some types of not-for-profits recognized by the IRS? I'm going to tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone. Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is in legal terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the show at in legal terms dot mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. There are various, lots of categories of not-for-profits that are recognized by the Internal Revenue Service, charitable or religious organizations, social welfare organizations, labor and agricultural organizations, business leagues, and veteran organizations. Each category has different tax benefits and requirements, while the majority of not-for-profits are classified as 501c3s of the IRS code as charitable organizations, you should review the categories to determine the right choice for your nonprofit organization. This morning, we're talking about setting up such an organization with Professor Gershon. Now, Professor Gershon, why does it matter what type of tax exemption my organization qualifies for? 
Well, Liz, the main thing really is uh, from the donor's perspective, can, the, can someone who donates money to your organization uh, have a tax deduction on their tax return? And so, you know, like, like the University of Mississippi, we have a foundation that our donors can uh, donate to, and, and they are uh, allowed to take those uh, deductions on their tax return, assuming they, they itemize. Uh, and but if I am, uh, I mean, it also matters because the uh, the five hundred one c threes, the charitable organizations that can take uh, donations that are deductible, have a lot more restrictions about what they can do. And so you'll hear about, for example, um, uh, some concern that churches have said that they they're not allowed to support a political candidate. Well, that's true. You you can't advocate for a political candidate if you are. A charitable organization. So the University of Mississippi could not, for example, endorse a candidate. Now, that doesn't mean that I, as a, an employee of the University of Mississippi, could not uh, you know, endorse a candidate or write in favor of that candidate. I just couldn't say that I represent the university in saying that. Same with churches. I mean, churches are not allowed uh, as an entity to advocate for a particular clan, uh, candidate. But each individual member of that church can. And so, um, you know, it's really we just want to understand if, we, if, we, if our organization is going to be involved in political activity, you don't want to be a 501c3. I think we there was some brouhaha about that during some of the different political conventions that were going on that you had to separate the pastor or someone, a member of a religious organization from that organization, you had to say, you know, that person, you know, fill in your name, supported that candidate, not the organization which they may famously be a part of. Right. And so, you know, what will happen is some some organizations will have a 501c4 that is allowed to be involved politically. And then they will also have a separate 501c3 that will be their foundation. And that's where they can raise money for uh, purposes that do fit into that category, charitable, religious, scientific, educational type entities. And so, you know, there, there's a way to you know, have both. But if we're talking about Lisa's question, for example, a, a smaller entity, obviously, uh, they're looking to form probably a 501c3 to raise money for uh, their, their choir. You know, or you know whatever booster program you have with the school, and she was she was smart because she looked at are, are there other like national entities that we can be part of. So the first thing you want to think about is does my my charitable goal fit in with another entity that that's already there, so I don't have to start from scratch, and, and I can use the umbrella of that entity to to, to run my organization locally. I have wondered philosophically. Since we've had the change in the tax code where for an individual to take a charitable donation, except for the year 2020, for the year 2021, you have to contribute $25,000 or more to uh, in charitable gifts. Uh, I you know, wonder if that's made people search their heart on whether they're going to give out of the goodness of their heart because a lot of individuals now, I, I guess I would assume most individuals don't have $25,000 to donate collectively to organizations or uh, to charities. What, what do you think about that, Professor Gershon? Right. I think what you're referring to is the, the increased uh, uh, standard deduction, which, you know, if, you're, if, you have, if you don't have enough itemized deductions to exceed the standard deduction, then you, you really don't take those deductions. So if, if I don't have enough combined uh, 
itemized deductions to, to exceed my standard deduction, I'm not going to be able to really take my charitable contribution. But, you know, the, the fact is, if you look at a state like Mississippi where people are really generous and, and not a high number of itemizing taxpayers necessarily. So people give for different reasons. They don't just give to, to get the tax deduction. Uh, and, and I think that's important. They, they give because they care about the cause. Uh, and th- as you mentioned also this year, there is a direct charitable deduction of up to $500 that people can take even if they don't itemize. I, I've, al- I've often thought that maybe the, the fairest thing to do would be to give a charitable contribution credit uh, that would reduce someone's uh, taxes dollar for dollar because, in a way, what we're doing when we're giving to charity is we're supporting good causes that help our community that a lot of times the government can't be involved in. The government can't support religious charities. So, you know, we're basically voting that our dollars will go to that religious charity or our dollar will go to a museum or, or whatever. And maybe the fairest thing to do would be to give a credit because someone who is uh, poor but gives a good percentage of their income to a charity doesn't get the tax advantage that a wealthier person would get if they give to charity, and I think it might be more equitable to, to, to treat this as an actual credit as opposed to a deduction. Let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, parents and booster clubs, because if you're a parent, you, your kid probably is in something that has a, a, a booster club, and do they need to apply for tax exempt status? What if, what if they want to participate in some kind of, uh, uh, you know, grocery script? You know, sign up for if you ha- have your charity, sign up for this. Then anyone who donates to Amazon or Kroger or or e- Disney or ESPN or something, that money can go to that kid's school. Uh, talk about that for a moment. Well, yes. I mean, yes. So those, you know, I know when I go to my grocery store, I can designate uh, with my, well, when I used to go to my grocery store, (laughs) and I I could uh, uh, designate a a charity that I wanted a percentage of my my purchases to go to. And so that has to be a charity that is recognized as a a, 501c3 charity. And, you know, schools typically are just by their status of, you know, public schools certainly are. But the booster club itself, the PTA, uh, a lot, or you know, PTO, they they typically are uh, have a bigger umbrella that they can be under. But they, you need to you need to have some uh, tax exempt status in order to qualify in those programs. Uh, so um, if you if you want to re- receive any kind of donation that's tax deductible on the donor's tax return, you have to be. One thing to think about too is. Um, Yes, there are state taxes as well. So you want to make sure that you have achieved tax, tax exempt status with the state of Mississippi. And, and also to consider that there are some organizations that do qualify, uh, though, although not many, for the state tax uh, sales tax exemption as well. So, you know, if your organization is doing an event, they've got to pay for uh, rental equipment and things like that. Uh, it's possible that they could qualify in some circumstances to avoid paying sales tax uh, on on those uh, purchases or those services as well. That's the golden ticket. <laughs> as, any, as a lot of parents who are organized, uh, who, are, who are volunteers at organizations, that's the golden ticket to have that piece of paper from the Secretary of State's office that says, I am making this purchase on behalf of this organization. And then you can present it at Sam's or Walmart or wherever it is, and then you magically don't have to pay sales tax to make the purchase for that organization. 
Yeah, that's not an easy one to get either. I, you know, they're they're pretty uh, tight on which organizations they give that to. Other states I found are, are a little bit easier. I know Texas, for example. When I used to travel for a university in uh, in, in the state of Texas, um, I never had to pay state sales tax at um, at hotels or anything like that because we were part of the uh, charitable. Uh, umbrella that kept us from having to do that but yeah make sure because that's that's a big it's a big cost and what the idea behind all this is if we've got an entity that's doing something good in our community we want them to be able to use all of their resources to to serve their purpose to serve their good purpose that we we think is important and and it it would be counterproductive to start taking money out of that uh, their funds to pay taxes so instead we allow them to use a hundred percent in a way of, of their resources to, for their good cause rather than taxing them. We've got a call that we'd like to go to. We're going to go to Chico in Oxford. Chico, thanks so much for calling in doing legal terms today. What's your comment or question? I have a legal conundrum, y'all. About a, a month ago, I cleaned out my barn and my front yard and my back porch, and I put a huge pile of junk out by the road with a sign that read $18 for all of it. And, you know, some of it was really good stuff to somebody. And these people stopped in a new black Dodge Charger and verified that I wanted $18 for all of it. And I said, yes, you got to take all of it. And the dude couldn't wait to get a 20 out of his wallet and push it into my hand. And they started cramming stuff into that Dodge Charger and they got as much as they could in there, and they said, we're going to take this to our house in Pontotoc County, and we'll be back with a truck to get the rest of it. And I said, sounds great. And that was Friday before last. And they paid me, and they've never been back, and it's still sitting there. So if I put a sign, if I put the $18 sign back up on it, and then I sell it to somebody, and they come back, are they going to get Joey East after me? Oh, you know, this is. I, I think uh, you know this is such an interesting question, and I appreciate the question. I, you know, I, um, you know, I, you really are in essence. I think for the most part, you're selling this stuff really cheap. And they, did you have? Did they sign anything with you? Do you have any contract with them? Do you have any I, I didn't agreement? Think give them a receipt. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, you know, it doesn't sound like they're going to come back, and I don't think they would have much standing to say, hey, you know, we we wanted the rest. It sounds like they took what they wanted, basically, and and the rest of it they just probably decided they didn't want. I don't know if it's a legal issue so much. I don't think that the, the sheriff will, will mess with that too much. Um, you know, from a tax perspective, I doubt you really had any gain on this sale, so there's really not a, a tax issue there. Uh, you know, I think you're probably okay to – to sell it or give it away if you want to. You know, if you wanted to take a deduction on it, you could give it to Goodwill, though, too. Uh, and they uh, and they would give you a receipt. And, uh, you know, for household goods and things like that, you can deduct up to $500 um, without having to do too much justification, although you need to you need, need to make sure that you have the receipt from the, the charity. I think Goodwill would turn down most of it. Then, then those people in Pontotoc probably will, too. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to put the $18 sign back on it, and if they come back and they raise cane about it, I'm going to tell them to call y'all. Okay. Well, well Chico, <laughs> we appreciate you being a, a great listener and calling in, too, in legal terms today. 
My co-host, Professor Richard Gershon, is giving us tips on setting up a tax-exempt not-for-profit. So what is a website you can go to with more information about not-for-profits? I'm going to tell you now, but it'll also be on our webpage uh, later when the show is posted. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. We are now you could drive in theater. We're the last operating drive in in the state of Mississippi. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Freaked me out that you could come and drive your car and park and watch the movie outside. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org/slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. There's lots of different podcasting platforms. I like Podcast Addict, but there's also Stitcher and uh, Spotify, lots of different ways that you can listen to podcasts. I downloaded it to my phone. I touched a plus that took me to the page to search for podcast. And In Legal Terms is, is unique enough. We're the only In Legal Terms. So when you touch it, it'll bring up this show. You can then touch the photo and subscribe. You can be notified when any new episodes are loaded up. This morning, we're talking about setting up a tax-exempt not-for-profit with our expert host, Professor Richard Gershon. And we, we mentioned earlier, we are going to have lots of links on this show's webpage, on this show's podcast. The Mississippi Secretary of State, Michael Watson, has lots of helpful information for us about not-for-profits. I'm going to have a link to their website on the website for this show. It's, you know, Secretary of State, sos.ms.gov. It's on the business services page. So be sure to check out our webpage for some great uh, links for setting up a not-for-profit tax-exempt organization. We have a number of calls going. Let's go to Paul in Alabama. Paul, I think you, you have the magic words 501c3. So, Paul, what's your comment or question for us? My question is, how do you dissolve a 5013c organization? What happens to the proceeds of the sales of property and what have you? things we need to think about is, okay, what happens at a time when we decide to shut down our organization that still has money? And that needs to be part of your original documents, really, of what what will happen to the, the finances, what will happen to the money, what will happen to the property of your organization 
when it dissolves? And the answer is it, it has to go to another 501c3, um, which would be acceptable. But you, got, you need to have a plan for that ahead of time. And I think it's a really great question because, you know, every, every business, every entity uh, will have an end at some point. And if you, you know, it could be that you've got a board of directors that now is, is they're all moving on. They've decided they don't want to uh, run this, this uh, organization anymore and, and nobody else wants to do it. So you got to, you got to dissolve it, but it, you got to have it go to a, to a uh, qualified purpose. Uh, otherwise you might have uh, some s- severe uh, tax implications that, that occur. So always part of the plan is to think about what's going to happen when it, when it all ends. We hope that 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 helped you, and we're glad that you've called in. Let's go to Norm, who's called in from Hattiesburg. Norm, what's your comment or question about setting up a not-for-profit? Well, I was just having a question about handicap parking. Um, state colleges, do they have to provide handicap parking for events such as college football games? And can they limit the handicap parking to high-level donors? Well, Norm, you know, that's actually we had uh, an expert on disability law just last week on our show, and I'm sure she, she could have maybe been more helpful on that. I do, I do know that the Americans with Disabilities Act does require public uh, accommodations and, and public institutions to uh, accommodate, and that would include parking. I, you know, I know that our experts here on, on our campus uh, on parking know those rules and they I, I, I comply with them. Uh, there probably would be some benefit to uh, high, high donors, uh, as is often the case at universities around the country. But uh, there has to be some, uh, some accommodation. Now, I know what we do here, and this is uh, one way that we can accommodate is, even if there's not parking close to the stadium at those events, we always have a shuttle uh, for people who are um, uh, disabled. So that, that is one way that the university could accommodate without you know, providing a specific parking place. So there, you know, there are other uh, reasonable accommodations I know that, that I do know take place, but I'm not an expert in disability law, and I wish I could give you more, more help. Norm, like um, Professor Gershon said, last week's show on September 1st, we had attorney Sean Barrett, who is an expert on ADA. And if you sent us an email, our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. If you sent us an email, I can forward that on to her to help you uh, get some more information to know what your rights are and what the law is. Thanks for calling in, Norm. Let's go to Marie from Biloxi. Marie, what's your comment or question about setting up a not-for-profit organization? Well, my first is I have a comment about, um, I know you misspoke when you said an annual return called a 1099. I meant the 990, and I, yes, 990, absolutely. (laughs) I thought about that. (laughs) Well, I do have a question. I I would like to hear you talk about the difference and what are the differences between just giving a no-strings-attached donation and um, maybe, like, I know nonprofits have fundraisers where they're selling stuff, and would that be a tax-deductible uh, donation? 
Great question. It really it dovetails with Norm's comment about the donors who uh, pay higher prices to get better parking and things like that. If you're getting some benefit, and thank you, by the way, it is a 990 you have to file every year. I, you know, I was thinking uh, you know, 1099 is uh, what you get. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyways, from if you're all those uh, nines. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, and so the 990 is something that uh, is an informational return you file every year. But at, at, to your to your question. Um, if let's say that uh, if I want to get season tickets to the University of Mississippi football games, I, I pay a uh, I can pay a little bit extra as a donation to the Athletics Foundation to to get maybe higher quality tickets. But because uh, I'm getting something of value in return for that donation, the entire donation will not be deductible. And what the university will let me know or what the foundation will let me know is how much is deductible. Same with if I, if I, if I pay $50 to go to a fundraising dinner, uh, the charity should say, you know, $40 of this is, is a contribution. $10 of it will pay for your dinner. So anything that is a, a, a benefit that the donor is mm-hmm. getting is not deductible. Um, and that should so be... If you're selling, like, say, candy bars, the, the, the cost of the candy bar to the organization would not be deductible, but the profit would be? That's right. So, and, and I think the organization needs to establish them for the donor how much of their, you know, and candy bar is less, less important. Um, but, you know, for a big event, if you've got, you know, a, a big yeah. uh, fundraiser that you're, you're doing a silent auction, for example, to, right. There is value that the donor is getting. So the only thing that the donor should be able to deduct, deduct is the, the difference between the value they got in return and what they actually contributed. Okay. That, that explains it. I appreciate that. Thanks My for pleasure. calling in, Marie. And, Marie, I know at uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting, if you mm-hmm. contribute money to MPB, and sometimes we will then send you a thank you gift of the best of the bebops from the 50s and 60s on a DVD. You will right. then get a receipt that says you con- you contributed X amount of money. We gave you a thank you gift of Y, so your mm-hmm. tax d- deduction is W. Or, uh, you know, okay. you gave us a contribution, and we sent you a thank you T-shirt. Well, the value of the T-shirt is some number, and it's subtracted mm-hmm. from whatever your contribution was. And uh, okay. uh, I know at Mississippi Public Broadcasting, our foundation does a great job of letting you know the value of the thank you gift they sent you mm-hmm. in return for your contribution. Okay. Well, great. I appreciate that. Reed, that was a great question. And, Liz, you know, that's so important that, that the charity should do the work for the donors, and, and sh- exactly as MPB Foundation, Foundation does, exactly as the University of Mississippi does. You know, that if, if a donor gives something and they get something in return, it's up to us to talk, talk about what, you know, what deductibility there is. And, and so that's really important, then, that if you're going to run a charity, then you need to, you need to service your donors because they're important to you. We are talking about setting up a tax-exempt not-for-profit organization today. My co-host, Professor Richard Gershon, is giving us some wonderful information. And why might you want to set up such an organization? I'm going to tell you next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. Try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road. for being part of our show in legal terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our webpage, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. You can listen on any podcasting app. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Why might you set up a tax-exempt not-for-profit organization? Well, in Mississippi, we've kind of got the, I guess, the best or the worst of both worlds. Mississippi has two reputations, being highly charitable, so your group would get a lot of, might get a lot of contributions, but we also have a population that is very much in need. So maybe your organization could help out. Uh, some group. Have you thought about setting up a tax-exempt not-for-profit? That's what today's show is teaching you about the tools that you need. We're going to have lots of links on our web pages because if there's one thing that there are rules for, it's anything that uh, is uh, regarding taxes. <laughs> lots of rules about that. And we have, a bun- we have a couple of phone calls to go to. Let's go to Bert in Madison. Uh, Bert, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Do you have a comment or question about uh, setting up a not-for-profit? No, I was just going to try to comment on the question the gentleman had about the uh, disability parking. A number of years ago on WWL, I recall uh, LSU raised their parking fees, including those for handicapped parking. So evidently you had to register and somehow qualify, but they were paying uh, several hundred dollars a year to attend a football game and use a parking pass. I don't know if it was related to their athletics foundation, but they were having to pay just for the privilege to use a handicapped parking spot, and that may vary by state. Okay, Bert. Well, we appreciate uh, you calling in, and maybe uh, Norm heard that. Thanks so much. Let's go to Dan, who's called in from Columbus. Dan, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question about setting up a not-for-profit? Good morning. My my question was you're talking about uh, the value of uh, a donation, and I was just wondering how they determine the value if I donated a boat or a car, uh, how is that calculated? I'm sure there's an issue on condition, but who sets the value? 
Well, that's a great question. The first, the first point it would be, you know, if you if you just have household goods and things like that, then they'll they'll give you uh, a couple of choices. You can say it's uh, the value of the thrift store or you know catalog value or something like that. If it's something like a boat, that's a bigger value, then you really want to have an appraisal. Uh, to justify the amount that you're taking as a deduction. Because, you know, the IRS can't really look at your boat, see what kind of shape it's in. So you want to have somebody uh, who can who appraises those things give you, you know, an idea. Or, I mean, if there, there ought to be some valuation from a dealer or someone like that who can say what, you know, what it would be worth or what they would offer it, uh, you if they were buying it from you. So I would want some, some evidence. Anything really, any items that are not cash that are over $500, you really have to have some justification for, uh, you know, what that thing costs because you can imagine that um, there might be taxpayers out there who would uh, who would overvalue the items they're giving to a charity to overvalue the cost of their deduction, and the IRS has uh, got uh, you know two uh, two hundred plus million, almost three hundred million taxpayers they're dealing with. It'd be very hard for them to to verify every every item we donate to charity. So we have to have some kind of substantiation. Dan, I know with MPB, I have some very real practical advice for you. MPB loves getting donations of vehicles. We've even gotten a donation from a riding lawnmower, but they do cars, boats, and motorcycles. If you just go to the, the webpage, mpbonline.org, and click support, there's that will then kind of take you through the process of contributing a vehicle. And I know at MPB, with the organization, that MPB uses to accept donations, they then sell the car. They sell the boat, and that, I believe, that is the value is then determined, and it's reported back on what the, the value of that donation was. But, uh, you know, it's kind of surprising, Professor Gershon. There, we do have a lot of... Um, very generous Mississippians, and whether your vehicle is running or not, uh, getting a donating it to MPB has been a very positive experience for the MPB, and it's you know gotten this unwanted vehicle off the hands of uh, supporters. So MPB appreciates that. So, Dan, I hope that has helped answer your question. We just have oh, about a minute more, Professor Gershon. Uh, real quick, what can your charitable organization not do? What are you prohibited from doing? Well, specifically from being involved in a in support of a political candidate, that will uh, get you in trouble. And uh, and yeah, you can you can do uh, voter education and things like that. You know, that as long as there's no evidence of bias in favor of a particular candidate, but your organization cannot be involved in, in that type of activity uh, that is supporting a particular candidate. They can also um, try you know encourage changes in the law, but they cannot be involved too much. Uh, substantially involved in lobbying. And the idea is these are organizations that don't pay taxes, right? We talk about no no taxation without representation. In a way, we're not going to give representation without taxation either. We don't want them to be uh, pushing for legislative change when they are not themselves taxpayers. Individuals who are, you know, who are, uh, care about this organization are absolutely free under the First Amendment to express their, their support of a candidate, just not in the name of the organization. 
Well, thank you, Professor Gershon. I'm excited that you got to be our expert today. (laughs) It was fun. Thank you. And we appreciate Java Chapman and Jay White for putting our show all together and, and running it for us today. This has been in legal terms. And so for Professor Richard Gershon, we're still socially distanced. Well, hey, we social distanced before it was cool. Uh, He comes from the University of Mississippi School of Law in Oxford. I'm Liz Gill at MPB here in Jackson, but we hope you'll join us next Tuesday from wherever you are in the world for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.